Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. You can start, Professor. What should I start? Today I was at dress rehearsal with my opera Blue House in Munich. It was amazing, deeply touching to hear, to see how many human beings are intensely working on this extremely difficult music how a wonderful stage director with a very special idea of the opera created an intense scenery and how I could feel that the audience who was here just was packed emotionally and intellectually by following this music. The real interesting thing is that originally I did not even want to come here. I was afraid. I was afraid about the fact that my intimate, personal opera, my music, which where I speak freely about very deeply personal experiences, that this piece could be the object of staging, which was what could be far away from my intention, and even more, could be against my intentions and might hurt me. And the beautiful thing has been that I was not hurt at all. The opposite happened, and I'm very happy that Molina supported me to come here, said the director of the Opera House in Munich, very intensely invited me to come and asked me to come, and said uh, also my publisher supported me to come here, and I'm very happy that I followed them. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a, I mean, the thing is that your, your initial reason for not wanting to come here was authentically because you had so much other work to do, you know, and, and, and that was very real. And I supported that. The secondary reason though, your concern about the opera. I mean, if you remember when you first voiced those concerns, I had an absolutely completely 
certain, it's like a, like a bolt of lightning through my body. I was like, no, no, this is not going to be some sort of horrifying mauling and manipulation of, of this piece. It's just not, I know it's going to be great. And, and the reason I know this is because I have seen other times when your work that you have been so afraid was going to be folded, spindled, and mutilated. And even when you were unhappy with the pieces or how the performances were, what happened? What was the end result? In sometimes, not in all of this. Times, most of them. In some most, times, some, most, some, most, some, most times, some, most infinity. And sometimes <laughs> uh, the audience still loved the piece. And this may be one of the most horrifying experiences of mine. <laughs> I, would, I would love to boo against the orchestra. I would run out full of shame about this horrible destruction of my work. <laughs> and the audience, run out in shame. <laughs> and the audience gave me standing ovations. And I think you don't know what you are doing. You have not heard the piece. And sometimes I really had the feeling, why do I composing so detailed? If even if people ignore what I have written, still it is a success. But then I think it was Molina who opened my mind for this. I said, okay, even if your music is badly performed, there still is something, a kind of a fire which jumps over to the audience. And I have to be thankful for this. And of course, I must not be the cranky composer who is the only unhappy person in the room, because this really would damage the good and beautiful experience with which, uh, sorry, this beautiful experience which those people, those persons had who did not really know what they could have heard in case they would have really heard what they have composed. I mean, the reality is that there is a core to what you have written that can't be broken. This is the point, right? Is that the audience's experience, for better and for worse, is more important than your experience at that point. And this is, I think, the thing that probably frustrates you the most is that it's not necessarily about you. And this is the thing for, for art that's so tough for you as a composer. And for me, it's very different as an actor because I'm not coming to it from the same perspective. And, you know, as a storyteller, I'm in so much control of my finished product, right? Like I'm out there telling the story. It's my fucking story. It's my life. It's my shit. I already know how this is going to go down. But for most you, of all, it's your way how to how to tell it. Exactly, exactly. And for you, you are several steps removed from the final product because you are not only not the musician, you are not the conductor, you are not the uh, stage director, you are not any of the singers. And so there's so many people who <laughs> who are standing between you and your not even your fantasy, what you heard in your head, what you know it, quote unquote, should sound like, right? Yeah, and there's 
of course, there's also always a kind of, let's say, minimum of fulfilling of the needs of the composition to be perceived as what it is. And of course, I know some, if a school orchestra plays Mozart or Beethoven, it is objectively maybe horrible, but still there will be a kind of emotionality in this music, which you can... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on objectively horrible. <laughs> well, it is objectively horrible. It is. You know, um, it, it is. This horribleness is not a sub subjective perception. <laughs> it is an objective fact. They are out of tune. They are out of rhythm. They don't play the correct pitches. They don't play the correct dynamic. Everything is out of what, how it should be. But still, some mystic situations are happening. And this is... <laughs> And this is something which, frankly, I don't really get. I don't know why this is. Well, if you don't know why, how are any of us mere humans going to know why? I think you do know why. I think I remember hearing you speak before about the, the, the collective energy of a bunch of people all working together to do the same thing and how that produces its own sort of magic spell, so to speak. Yeah, well, this is the parallel between erotic dominance and doing music. In the erotic dominance, there is dominating person who orders other persons to do exactly what this person wants. And this is quite close what happens if an orchestra plays or performs a composition of a composer. And this is true. If there is a group of 25 persons which desperately try to play this bullshit which the composer has written down, <laughs> even, even, even if it is completely bullshit, just the fact that 25 people try, seriously try, to realize it creates a kind of energy. I know this, but I don't want to use this. This would be too, too cheap. What I want is that my music is impressive because of the sounds I imagine, because of the musical drama which is performed by the musicians, and not because of the simple effect that there's a group of slaves who just follow the orders of the conductor and the composer. You know, it's interesting to me. I It just occurred to me, I think maybe part of your ongoing fascination with churches, like constantly dragging me to these fucking medieval churches all over Europe. <laughs> and I wonder if it's the fact that still sticking to these old rocks and all these buildings that have been built for one purpose for hundreds of years is the energy of hundreds of years of people all in there praying and singing and sort of sending their energy outside of themselves. And maybe you feel that. Maybe that's part of what draws you to these places, as I'm, moldy and gross as some of them are. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure that this is a part, but there's an other thing too. Mm -hmm. If I'm really 
attracted to churches which are built before, let's say, 1450. Okay. This is Romanic churches, is earlier Gothic churches. And by chance, or not by chance, this is the time before colonialism was developed. Mm. And I believe in these old medieval churches uh, is something, well, it is, I would not call it innocence, because these societies in the medieval ages in Europe were yeah, the church was, was clearly pulling some bullshit at the time yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because there was an incredible poorness, and also people consciously kept uh, without knowledge of anything. And they made some having the fear of the last judgment, and they really believed that after their death, uh, they will ask about their sins, and if they had, have had too many sins, they will be tortured in hell for... Uh, undefinite long time, and they were deeply afraid of this. And uh, this made people just functioning as the structures of the society wanted them to function. Yeah. This is horrible. But there also was a very small minority of educated people who really believed in the spirituality and during that time, also the, let's say, the technological avant-garde and the spirituality of the monasteries were very close together. The monasteries were not only the centers of praying and of music and of paintings. There were in many places also centers of creating new types of factories, new types of production, uh, new types of agriculture. And uh, there's a fascination in this, which I really deeply feel until today. Even though they, some of them smell very moldy. <laughs> Now here's my question: Does a, does a, what time frame does that one church? You know, my favorite one, the the bony church in Kutnahora in Czech Republic. That's, is that prior well, to uh, this this church? Is he has everything constructed on bones, and this is so fascinating for Molina that she even forgives that this church was built uh, after colonialization time. <laughs> <laughs> Actual, it is for no, it's me. Much it later. Is, it's well, much for me, later. It is much later. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. No, well, for me, of course, the fascination is my absolute phobia about death. So being surrounded by such vivid reminders of deaths as, you know, dozens of thousands of bones as are in this ossuary slash chapel in the in the countryside in Czech Republic. And if you can check this out, oh my Kutnahora. god. Kutnahora. It's amazing. It's so Freaking cool. And I was so glad. I think that might have been the first thing in Europe that I got to show you that you had not been to before I had. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true, because I never was connected with such a necrophiliac. It's not a necrophilia. I don't want to have sex with the bones. Not sex, but just fun. No, I don't want to have fun with them either. It's scary. It's just... God. Yeah, okay. But the cool thing about this church, this 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 place, is that when I was a little kid... I saw a National Geographic show that included a segment on this this ossuary in 
the Czech Republic. And you know, you and you see photos of it, and it's just this little chapel that's decorated literally with human bones of people who had passed away during the Black Plague when they were just burying bodies in the ground to the point where they were skeletonized and then pulling them back up and then putting new dead bodies in there. And when I was a little kid, I was like, oh my God, I'm totally gonna go see that. And then completely forgot about it. I would occasionally remember it, but then couldn't remember where it was or if I had even dreamed it or, or whatever, you know, and this was before the internet for all you kids out there. And so you had to have you know, some piece of information to go and do any research on it. And then when I was in my thirties, I took a, um, I took a month off of work and I just sort of wandered around Europe. And one of the places that I went to was Prague and I was staying at a hostel and in the display rack for the hostel was this little flyer saying, go to see the bone church. And I pulled it out and like it, I had this whole flashback to being a kid and sitting and watching National Geographic, eating popcorn out of my giant Tupperware bowl and being like, oh my God, that's it. That's the fucking thing I saw when I was a kid. And now I can go. And I went and it was amazing and it was awesome. And then now I got to take the professor. I also, it's just Czech Republic is so fucking awesome. Also, this place is really, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, I'm so glad that this week has turned out as well as it had. And I'm really super glad that despite the fact that there was quite a bit of stress involved, that we did get to a place where you were able to trust that it was going to be okay, which I know is hard for you, especially. Yes, but sometimes I take the burden. What do you mean by that? Sometimes it takes the burden to be optimistic and hopeful. <laughs> it is such a heavy load to bear for you, fucking Austrian. <laughs> you know, it's so it's 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 so difficult for me because when I when I believe something so much in my guts and I know it's true, I really just want you to also just trust me and believe it and, and to really know it's going to be all right. And it, it hurts me so much when I see you in pain because you have these doubts, you know? Mm. Well, I try to fight against this mm. desire for pains, but maybe you should change the position. Think, okay, maybe it's good that Georg has these pains. Who knows if he goes over them, what will be next? What does that mean? Wait, it. wait for tomorrow. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Like, wait, I literally don't wait know from, what you... Wait for my pains, which we'll have tomorrow. Oh, God, come on. And I'm absolutely sure tomorrow it will be as amazing as today's evening has been. Really. Thank you, darling. That's all I want. I just want the thanks and the accolades for like me sweating my balls off all the time, trying to keep your shit together when I can barely keep my own together. Because for real, the past month has been unbelievably fucking exhausting. Well, but ours over had unbelievably beautiful experiences. Thank you, darling. Yeah. Which is great. The Beautiful experiences are great, but the exhaustion is also really very real. Well, you will enjoy, I hope, no, I'm sure you will enjoy, we both will enjoy the days in Slovenia, 
in the forest, there's plenty of nature. You laugh so much, I know, darling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the the place that we stayed in. I mean, the, the, I think the main thing for me is that all of these places are really, hopefully, places that you enjoy being and that you like to be. And the logistics of getting us to and from these places is deeply stressful, and the issues that come up because no place is going to be without issues. It's a lot. It's a lot. But it is a rich life. You know, just once though, I wish that you would, when I say a thing, acknowledge it and just let it sit. Because the past two times I've said, if you've noticed in this conversation, I said, you know what, I'm really tired. You're like, oh, but we had this other thing. And I'm like, oh, but, you know, it's really, oh, but it's really rich. It's like, yeah, it is. But also, sometimes it's it would be really helpful to me if you heard when I said something was exhausting for me or tiring for me or a lot for me and just acknowledged it versus trying to, I don't know. What is your point of saying, oh, but there's also this other stuff? What is your intention? Because I want to help you not to fall into the hostile negativity. Okay. I don't fall into things that are like you do. I just need to have the fact that I have stress acknowledged well, by you. And what I really acknowledge is how much you are doing to make this life possible. And of course, many moments you are exhausted, tired, frustrated. And I see it. What I try is to make our life in a way that at the very end, the light is stronger than the darkness. I think that that is true. I would definitely agree with that. I love you, darling. I love you, Mr. Professor. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon.